Good evening, New Eden Church. All right, y'all. So thanks for the introduction, Joel. Uh, man, I see a lot of familiar faces out here from the Worthy Redeemer crew, so I'm excited about that too. And we're going to pick up in John. We're going to be in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. I, I would like to start by saying, um, you know, we we had music that was longer than usual. We had announcements that were longer than usual. And I would hate to go against the grain this week. So <laughs> buckle up. Right? And part of that, I'm, if I'm going to be straight up with you guys, man, right? So uh, even if you preach a text multiple times, when you preach it again, even if you preach it an hour later, it's not the same sermon. It's, it's, it's like you preached it all. It's, it's a different sermon, same text. And the text means what the text means, but it's not really the same sermon. And so I find myself in a little bit of a, a, a pickle here because in my mind, I preached this last week. And y'all heard it. I know you didn't, but in my mind, you did. I preached it. And then this week, I had a whole nother week to look at it again with a fresh set of eyes. And although the text is what the text is, and it means what it means, what I felt compelled to emphasize last week is slightly different than what I feel compelled to emphasize this week. And so, like any preacher who uh, uh, is just greedy, uh, I'm going to try to do both. So, good luck. <laughs> Tune in. But no, uh, right here in John 2, we have Jesus uh, cleansing the temple. This is one of the more famous stories in Scripture. Um, one of the most probably misused and abused stories in Scripture, if you ask me, uh, but it's one of the most famous stories in Scripture. And as I was studying uh, for this sermon, I couldn't help but get some nostalgic feelings. Uh, uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch Nickelodeon all the time, and my favorite shows to watch on Nickelodeon were all the competition game shows, right? So I used to watch Double Dare. I used to watch Guts. I don't know if y'all remember Guts, but they had the aggro crag, and I wanted nothing more than to be able to climb the aggro crag one day and be on Guts. But one of my favorite Nickelodeon competition shows was called Legends of the Hidden Temple. Anybody remember that show? That was the jam, all right? Legends of the Hidden Temple. And the premise of that show was really simple, right? You, you end up on a team. You know, for me, my team was the Silver Snakes. You know, but, you know, I, that was my dream. I wanted to be a Silver Snake and make it to the end where you get a chance to go into Omax Temple. And the objective was simple, seemingly simple. There'd be an item, right? And there's always a story. The temple's been overtaken, and, and all this stuff's going wrong. And, and in order to make things back right in the temple, somebody's got to go in there, grab this item, and bring it back out. Sounds simple enough. Go in the temple, get an item, achieve your task, bring it back out, and everything's all good. And I couldn't help but think about how difficult that task actually was and even how scary it was as a kid watching that, right? You, you go into the temple thinking, I can go get that item. You go in there and room after room, you are hit with stumbling blocks, challenges, puzzles. And even if you got past all that, there were temple guards in there who would jump out and snatch you and keep you from your objective. It was a seemingly simple task that turned out to be really difficult in Omax Temple. And that's not completely unlike what we see happening here in John chapter 2, 13. The goal of going to the temple was fairly simple. Go to the temple with a humble heart to commune with the Lord 
and make a sacrifice. Simple enough. Uh, But Jesus ran into something different in the temple. And we're going to talk about that today. So real quick, let me just pray for us. I'm going to read the text, and we're going to jump right into it. Father in heaven, just prepare our hearts and our minds for what you're saying here. Uh, God, help us to see uh, beyond what's plainly there. Help us to understand the practical and the spiritual implications of what's going on. Help us to understand what was happening then and what that means for us now. Lord, prepare us to, to, to actually take action as we learn about these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read the text together. John 2, 13. The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, it's one of my favorite parts of that whole text, is he sees these things, and it's almost assumed, like after making, like of course he would make a whip out of cords after seeing these things, right? (laughs) So after making a whip out of cords, like anyone would do, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was, that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the statement Jesus had made. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, uh, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, Here's the backdrop of what's going on. So before we get into the line-by-line kind of breakdown of what's going on, I just want to give a couple high-level insights about this passage of Scripture. Uh, the first one is this, the, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple pops up multiple times in the New Testament. You see it in all of the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about clean, cleansing the temple. Now, uh, This story is actually one that people try to use to hold against the Bible as uh, maybe an inconsistency in Scripture. And the reason why they do that is because when you read the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, it presents the cleansing of the temple as an event that took place in the very last week of Jesus's ministry. Very end, right before he died, one of the last things he did, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, was go into the temple and pop off, all right? But when you read John, John presents the cleansing of the temple as happening very early in Jesus's ministry, right? And some of the details are different. When you read uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of the cleansing of the temple, uh, there's no mention of a whip. When you read John's account of Jesus cleansing the temple, Jesus is like, watch me whip, 
right? Watch me nay nay, right? He's, he's in there getting busy, right? So <laughs> these, they seem a little different, right? So what's going on? Are the scriptures contradicting themselves? Um, are Matthew, Mark, and Luke correct? Or is John correct? Well, the answer is that they're all correct. Uh, this is one of those stories that, uh, just like, for example, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves, he actually fed a crowd of people with fish and loaves multiple times. Uh, he cleansed the temple multiple times. This wasn't a one-off event. The one we're reading about in John is the time that he did it at the very beginning of his ministry. As you read the story chronologically in John, he lays it out chronologically, right? You see if you, the sermon from the last time, he just performed his very first miracle, which was turning water into wine. That was his very first public miracle. And then just a few verses later, they tell you what he did. He went down to Capernaum, right? Passover came. He goes back to Jerusalem. This happens. It's so much so that when you get later into the text, it's so early in his ministry, people are like, what kind of signs can you show us? that say you have the authority to be doing this. It was so early in his ministry, he, ministry, he didn't have a reputation yet. He hadn't, people didn't know him for his signs and miracles and wonders yet. This was, so he did this more than once. And when you really think about it, it's kind of presumptuous to assume that he did this one time and all of the Pharisees was just like, yeah, you know, you're right. We're never going to do this again. And then they just had perfect temple adherence from there on out. no. He's like, they were like any other stiff-necked people. Uh, we need to be taught and told and corrected over and over and over again, don't we? So this is the time early in his ministry where Jesus did this, not to be confused with what's happening in the, synop in the synoptics. All right, another uh, just high-level insight, right, Passover. So this, this is happening during the time of Passover. And, you know, cool story, just to kind of put it in our perspective, Passover is not far from now. Passover begins, the first full day of Passover is on Sunday, March 28th, which is also the very first of our vision gatherings that we're going to be doing at Worthy Redeemer, shameless plug. Uh, but... Uh, the, um, uh, but that's the beginning of Passover. Passover happens on the 15th day of the month of Nisan, right? So Nisan is, uh, they go by a lunar calendar, not like, a, you know, they're not looking at uh, in January, February, March. They're looking at the changing of the seasons. And so 15 days into the spring season, uh, they call that uh, when the spring starts, that's when Nisan starts. And so, so much so that if the winter runs long, they have a leap month. They would add a whole month to the calendar and just call that however much, and that month would last as long as winter lasted. And then when the, when the barley became ripe and spring came, Nisan began. And then 15 days into that was the beginning of Passover. So they're always watching the weather, watching the stars, watching the moon, seeing what was happening. And that would be their cue on what they needed to do. So this was the time of the season, not far from right now, a few weeks from right now, we would look to the seasons and look to the stars and see the very same things that prompted Jesus to make his journey from Capernaum back to Jerusalem to observe Passover. So we're going to look at this section of scripture through three different kind of buckets here. Uh, when I'm preparing to preach, one of the things I like to do is try my best to put myself uh, in the mindset of the main characters of the story I'm reading. And so when I was reading this, the, obviously what's going on, Jesus uh, flips tables and all that stuff. And it makes you think like, man, why did he do that? And it makes you think if any, I'm sure many of you have had situations in your life where maybe you 
were dealing with somebody and you made, they were really upset at you and you didn't know why. And you're like, wow, they were, it became very obvious. They had some expectations that maybe you weren't aware of, but they had some expectations and they were really upset, right? So one thing that was really obvious when Jesus comes in and responds the way he responds is he had some expectations. So the first thing we're going to look at is what did Jesus expect to see when he went to the temple? The second thing we're going to look at is what did Jesus actually see when he went to the temple? And the third thing is how did he respond and was it appropriate? So what did he see and expect? What did he expect? What did he see and how did he respond? So first, what did Jesus expect to see? And not to see, what did he expect in general? Well, the, the first thing that stands out, like I said, is that Jesus did have very clear expectations. It leaps off the page. He, ex he experienced something different than what he expected when he went into the temple. When he went to the house of the Lord, there were expectations. And, and, and these weren't just any old expectations. These were expectations that were rooted in the scriptures that all of these people knew. So he had, he, he had something in mind for when he went into the temple. One of the first, some of these expectations are in writing and some of these expectations are implied. One of the expectations is that people actually gather at the house of the Lord. That's one of the first clear expectations, that no matter where people were dispersed to, when Passover came, you would do what you had to do to get to the house of the Lord. People came from far, from everywhere, to get to the house of the Lord and commune with the Lord and to make their sacrifices. The journey from Capernaum to Jerusalem, uh, if you were to walk, would be a 35-hour walk. That's how long it took Jesus to walk there, 35 hours. I'm assuming that's today. I looked it up on uh, Google Maps, and I'm assuming they got sidewalks and roads and stuff. So it might have took longer than that back then. But if you were to make that walk today, 35 hours, it was a journey. It was expected when Passover came that you gathered, that you went to the house of the Lord. So that was one of the first things that was expected. We see some other expectations here. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. So uh, Deuteronomy 16.2 says, Sacrifice to the Lord your God a Passover animal from the herd or flock in the place where the Lord chooses to have his name dwell. This was an expectation that you would make a sacrifice, and it tells you uh, here uh, uh, to, to God, a Passover, it says from the herd, more specific, this would have been from your specific herd or from your flock. You were supposed to make a sacrifice, pull an animal from your flock, make a sacrifice to the Lord. And where were you to do that? In the place where the Lord chooses to have his name dwell. They didn't list a specific place in Deuteronomy because God's people were pretty nomadic for a period of time. And he dwelled wherever the Ark of the Covenant fell, or, you know, he had different places. He was on the move. So wherever the Lord chose his name to dwell, that's where you're supposed to go, commune with the Lord, bring your sacrifice and make your sacrifice. So this was an expectation. Deuteronomy 12, 10 and 11, the Lord, your God will choose the place to have his name dwell. Bring there everything I command you, your burnt offerings, sacrifices, offerings of the tenth, personal contributions, and all your choice offerings you vow to the Lord. This was not a suggestion. This wasn't a kind ask. He says, I command you, bring there everything, your burnt offerings, right? So the command wasn't just to show up to the temple. 
The command was to bring these things with you. Bring your burnt offering. We know from the other text, bring it from your flock. This was supposed to be a personal thing. When you made this sacrifice, this was supposed to be an animal that you raised and cared for and knew. And when you sacrificed it, you were going to pick your best one from, the, from your flock. You were going to feel this sacrifice. You were going to feel it. It was going to mean something to you. You were going to grieve over it. Maybe God knows a little something about that. Didn't he offer up his first and only begotten son? Grieve over it? Didn't he feel that sacrifice? You think he was trying to allude to something there? He was, it was a command. Bring it with you. Bring your burnt offerings. Bring, this, bring it all with you was part of the command. So this is another thing that Jesus would have expected. He would have expected to see people from far and wide coming into Jerusalem with, 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 a, seeming, with a burdensome amount of stuff, with ox and sheep and doves and sacrifices and burnt and bringing all of these things with them. He would have expected to see that because it was commanded in the scriptures. And not only would he would have expected to do it, he actually did it. He had to perfectly obey all these commands. So we know that he actually did it. And I can, I, can, I can relate. I can imagine how Jesus felt. I think he felt a lot like the kid. You ever had a group assignment in class, and you got one person who just does everything the right way? Right? They do everything. They do all the work. They take the notes. They're like, no, the teacher actually said they got, ev- they got everything all together. Right? And then when it's time to, to come and turn in the assignment, you got everybody else who, 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 who didn't hardly do anything, and they're trying to take credit for all your work. Right? Yeah, that's kind of what's going on. So (laughs) Jesus shows up doing everything he's supposed to do, and he expected others to be doing the same. Now, this whole sacrificial process was a unique experience for Jesus. I want you all to try to do this with me. Try to get in the mindset of Jesus going to the temple to make the sacrifice for a couple of reasons. One, the purpose of the sacrifice was for the atonement of sin. Everyone who was going there and bringing these things, or supposed to bring these things, was going there to make this sacrifice for the atonement of their sins. Jesus never sinned. Every single year, everyone was going there during Passover to make atonement for sins as actual sinners. And here we have Jesus as someone who never sinned going and going through the process of shedding the blood of animals for the atonement of sin. And it got me thinking, I was like, did he really do this? Because the text doesn't say that Jesus actually showed up and made animal sacrifice. So now I'm sitting here thinking, this is what happens in my brain. I go on these rabbit trails. Did Jesus offer animal sacrifices in the temple? And if he did, why? Because he didn't sin. And yes, he did. He did. He did because he had to. As a Jew under the law, Galatians 4, 4, he had to keep the law. For the transgressive would be sin. That's 1 John 3, 4. The law required man to keep seven feasts. This was a command for Israel. Jesus would have had to keep all of this. The seven feasts are laid out in Leviticus 23. Each one of those feasts involved animal sacrifice. If Jesus was going to perfectly obey the law, he would have had to do all these things as God commanded. It wasn't just the the feasts that he observed. Jesus submitted to the baptism of repentance and remission of sin. But John the Baptist, although he never sinned, he submitted to that. Why? Why would he do this? Well, he did this 
whether it was obeying feasts or being baptized, he would do things that sinners did, even though he wasn't a sinner for a specific reason. One, that he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. It's Matthew 3, 15. In order for us to be numbered with the righteous, he had to be numbered with the transgressors. It's Isaiah 53, 12. He was numbered with the transgressors in his baptism and also when he died between two transgressors. Everything he was doing, he did to fulfill prophecy and to be numbered amongst the transgressors so that when he had victory over all these things, a real swap could take place. And this is what's going on in the gospel is that these people aren't falling short in all these ways merely because they don't want to. They're falling short because they can't do it. And Jesus can. And the only way that his dying on the cross and raising from the dead means anything to us today is if he did all of these things perfectly, including going to the temple during Passover, bringing everything with him and making the sacrifice. He did it all. He did it all. And this is what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> we, we, they, they missed it. It was right in front of them and they missed it. This was all a part of God's plan. It was purposeful. Bring it with you. Could you imagine the symbolism of people coming from far and wide, carrying all these things with them for miles and miles and miles, a week's journey with animals and offerings and all this stuff and going humbly into the house of the Lord, seeking atonement for your sins and leaving it there and walking back home with none of it? Could you imagine how light you would feel on the return journey versus the journey in after you left all that stuff in the house of the Lord? Bring it with you. Bring it with you. This was the command. And this is what Jesus expected. And so we all, again, let's make this modern day. We have expectations when we come to the house of the Lord. You're in the house of the Lord right now. What do you expect? What should you expect? You expect to hear the word preached? You expect to sing together, sing praises to our God together? You, you expect to take the Lord's Supper? You expect to hear the scriptures read? You expect to, expect to pray together? You expect all those things. You expect to come and bring, right? Not just your, your talents, right? But to bring your gifts. It's a New Testament command to gather together on the first day of the week for the collection of monies for the church. This is an expectation in scripture. It's there. These are expectations. So they had expectations then. We have expectations today. And so what do we do when what is expected is not what we actually experience? So let's contrast this. We know now what Jesus expected. But what did Jesus actually see? John 2.14, in the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. He also found the money changers sitting there. The key phrase in this passage here is in the temple. It's not illegal to sell an ox. It's not illegal or immoral to sell a sheep. It is not illegal or immoral to sell a dove. The issue is that they were doing all this stuff in the temple. Right? Let's try to make this super practical. In the house of the Lord. Imagine you made your way to New Eden 
and you got past the very kind greeters at the front door and you walked in and there's ox walking around in here. And then there's sheep walking around in here and there's birds flapping. I hate birds. There's birds flapping, the sound of birds flapping. Now, imagine the sound of all that. Now, imagine the smell of all that. Now, imagine the things that the animals are leaving behind that is causing the smell of all that. And now, imagine you trying to keep your children from playing in all that mess. And now, imagine you trying to go to the house of the Lord to commune and to pray and to sing and to read. Is that an environment that is conducive or distracting from those things happening? It's a huge distraction. Imagine all that taking place right now, an ox right up in here chewing and defecating, and you trying to pay any attention to what's happening right now. In the temple, this stuff was going on. This is the issue. This is one of the issues. But it was a huge distraction to what was supposed to be going on. So, uh, so we have animals, we have money changers, and there are spiritual and practical ramifications for what's taking place in the temple when you get there. So we talked about some of the practical ones. And then also let's talk about like this again, right? Why would you need to sell an ox if people were being obedient and bringing their ox with them? Why would you need to sell a sheep if people were being obedient and bringing the sheep with them or doves? If people were obedient and bringing them with them, there'd be no need. And here's what we got going on here. There's a trap in here. There's a trap in here because there's different motivations. There's different motivations for what's happening here. And none of them are the Lord said. We got cute and they had different reasons for justifying what they're doing. One of them is, oh, you know, this is a, a good service to the church, right? People don't have to travel with all those animals, right? You can just, we'll, we'll get them all rounded for you. You can come here. We'll make it easy for you, Right? Just buy it when you get here. Disobey, disobey the Lord for the sake of comfort and ease. But the church is saying, we're doing this as a good service for our people. We're sacrificing our obedience on the altar of convenience. So do that, right? It's easy. Just bring it. It's convenient. Don't just leave it at home. Just walk, Right? You got that going on. Another thing that was going on is you also had corrupt people selling these things because what they would do is somebody would come with a, a, a sheep or a lamb or an ox or whatever it was. And you know what they tell them? Cause this was supposed to be your best one. This is supposed to be your animal that didn't have any spots or blemishes. Like, you know what? That, that sheep you brought actually is not good enough for the sacrifice, but don't you worry. I've got one right here that's pure. I'll sell it to you. So you got some people that are doing this stuff because it's easy and convenient. You got other people who are motivated by making a buck and saying your offering, your sacrifice is not good enough. Here, I'll sell you one. And it went further than that. The money changing took it to the next level because that was how they said your money's not good enough. Your money's not pure. They created their own temple currency. 
And so you'd come, it'd be like, if you wanted to pay your, your tithes here at New Eden, and, and they're and they're like, hey, man, I got I, I got a $50 bill, right? I want to drop this in the box. And, um, and, and it's, oh, man, you know what? That one's a little... That one's a little wrinkly. We don't like wrinkly $50 bills here. So here's the deal, right? Uh, I'll give you a, a, a fresh $50 bill, but it's going to be interest on that, all right? So we'll trade the 50, but it's going to cost you 60, but then your 50 will be good and pure. You can turn that one in. So you have money changing here, exchanging currency with interest, making, making money off of the money, telling people their offerings weren't good enough. So all this stuff's going on in the temple, and, and then <laughs> let's talk about how, how does Jesus receive this, right? So all this stuff's going on. Jesus walks in, and, and this stuff's going on in his father's house. And it's, it's more than that for Jesus, because everyone coming in there is making atonement for sins that they actually committed. Jesus wasn't. He never committed any sins. But here's the other thing, too. Everyone else going there is making this Passover sacrifice looking backwards to what God had done when, uh, when, when he sent the, 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 the angel of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord to come down, and anyone who had blood on their doors was freed from the wrath of God. They were looking backwards at an event that happened where the people of God were spared from God's wrath. And they did this every year. It was a reminder of what had happened. Jesus was the only one in there who went there every year, and this was a reminder of what was to come for him. Everyone else is looking at this going, man, God has spared us from this, and Jesus has to do this, 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 this portrayal, this, 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 this ceremony every year where he's taking the life from an animal and watching the blood spill and watching the pupils dilate as the life leads their body, knowing that that's going to be me one day. It's going to be me. And I came here and I carried all this stuff with me. I'm going to have to carry my cross one day. And, and I have to serve this animal up. I'm going to have to serve myself up one day. For everyone else, they were looking backwards. Jesus was there looking forward, saying, this is me. I'm going to die like this one day. For people who won't even bring their sheep with them. For people who are here making a quick buck. And guess what? He did it. He was obedient to the very end. Amen? He was looking forward while everyone else was looking backwards. This is me. I'm the sacrifice. Imagine having to practice your own death every year. Imagine that and what that would do to you when you saw someone walking and desecrating your father's house and spitting on your future death and sacrifice. Makes flipping over a table seem kind of reasonable. So as this was going on, and I'm reading this, and I'm trying to get into the mind of, of Jesus, and I can't help but ask myself, why'd they bother? Why'd they even bother showing up? Like, if I'm going to be disobedient, I can be disobedient at the crib. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I could disobey Jesus in the comfort of my couch. Like, why would I bother coming all the way here, traveling all these miles, just to be disobedient? Why would I do that? I'm going to ask you all the same question. Why would you even bother coming here today, right now? Why bother 
or you want to be a part of a church plan. There's plenty of other churches you could have been at. You could be at home right now, Sunday night. Why do you even bother coming here? Why? What was your real motivation? Because the motivation in Scripture is clear that the goal of coming to the house of the Lord is to come humbly, to come with a repentant heart, to bring the cares of the world and the cares of the weak here and lay them down and walk out lighter than when you came in. And if you're not doing that, why'd you even bother? So, we're going to talk about that. Why bother? Why'd you bother coming here? And was Jesus' response to this appropriate? It was. It's going to cut right to it. It's very appropriate. But a couple things with that, and I'm closing up. Look at how Jesus responded. Look at how angry he was. Look at what he did, flipping over tables, making a whip, all that stuff. Just, and then just to clarify some things, Jesus didn't whip people with the whip. He whipped the animals with the whip, and then the people chased after their property, thus driving them out of the temple. He wasn't beating people. All right? Again, misused. People don't understand. Oh, people do something really ridiculous. You go, well, Jesus flipped tables. For one, he, he did what he did, and two, you're not Jesus. All right? Like, if you, if you want to read this story properly, read it and, 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 and look at the, the people selling things and not bringing their gifts and, and money changing, and that's probably a better place to insert yourself into the story. It's definitely not the Jesus role. All right? So, why bother? I want to think about a couple things. What's our motivation? What's our real motivation? And this is good. this is a heart check for all of us. It's a heart check for all of us because nobody. This is between you and you. And I I had to like sit with this for a minute while I was preparing to preach it because I was like I need to do this heart exercise my own self. Why did I even bother? Why do I bother coming and gathering with the saints? Why do I do it if it's not for those reasons? If it's not to enter into his house with a humble heart, bringing my cares and my concerns, and, and then leave it here and leave lighter than when I came in. If I'm not doing it for those reasons, why do I even bother? So why are y'all here? Are you here because your spouse dragged you here? Are you here because your parents dragged you here? Are you here because... And what else could it be? Are you, are you here because you live in a community or maybe you have an upbringing where going to church on Sunday is, is the norm, so that's just what you do? Why are you here? But then when I started thinking about why are you here, I started thinking, well, there's, there's pure and impure, impure motives for being here. You can be here the right way. You can be here the wrong way. But there's also, there's why don't you? When you don't come and gather with the Lord, why don't you? And I know now is a sensitive time to even bring that up with COVID and everything, right? But take that out the mix. Why don't you come together with the saints of God? Why don't you? 
Have a real honest conversation in your heart about that. The Bible commands us to bring. So even though you're here, did you bring? If you did, why did you bring it? Did you bring it to come and gather with the saints and lay it down and leave it with Jesus? If so, praise God. But if you came and you didn't bring, why didn't you bring? Why didn't you bring your cares? Why didn't you bring your concerns? Why didn't you bring your anxieties? Do you believe that your pains and your sufferings and your cares are more than God can handle? Do you believe that when you come and you make your needs or your concerns known that the people of God won't receive them well? That they're more apt to throw stones than give you a hug? Why didn't you bring? Why do you choose week in, week out to show up and go through the motions of Christianity and leave the house of the Lord just as burdened as when you came? Why don't you bring it? And when I'm asking these questions of why bother come? Why bother? Why did you do it? Why didn't you bring? This isn't a discouragement to not come and to not bring. Believe me, even if you're here for the wrong reasons, you're better off in here. But it is to say like, man, if you want real joy, you want real peace, you want real gladness in the Lord, you got to have an honest, honest conversation with yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. So, so keep coming, but just come and, and, and receive. Come and get what you're supposed to get out of this thing. Come and have real community. Come and really be known. Really leave lighter. Come and go through the motions. Why bother? Why'd you come? Or why didn't you come if you're watching this online? Why did you bring? If you did bring, why did you bring? Because you had people who came, but they obviously came for the wrong reasons here. Why'd they even bother? I don't know, but you can have a, a, a conversation with yourself right now. Why did you bother? Why did, if you brought, why did you bring? If you brought a financial gift, why'd you bring it? Did you bring it out of gratitude? Did you bring it out of wanting to see the kingdom of Christ advance right here in Decatur? Or did you bring it so that one day you can not like something and say, I pay my tithes, as if it gives you some type of weight? some type of authority here in the church? Is it a weapon? Why did you give? Why did you bring if you did? These are heart issues. What was going on here were heart issues. And Jesus was prepared to deal with them all. He did deal with them all. He brought everything we couldn't bring. And he died the death that none of us want to die. None of us want to die that way. None of us want to die carrying the weight of our own sin and burdens. And if you don't lay it down now, if you, if you die holding the bag, if you die truly not trusting in Jesus, you will spend eternity holding the bag and not trusting Jesus. Lay it down now, and you will lay it down forever. Why don't you bring? Why don't you come? And if you do, why did you come? And why did you bring? And why did you not do it according to the will of the Lord?
These are questions for you. This is a, it's funny, I'm sitting here reading John 2, and I'm sitting here, honesty with yourself is a hard thing to do. It's crazy. If you have an internal conversation, you'll sit there, you'll have a hard time being honest with yourself, and there's nobody in your head but you, and you can't even be honest with yourself. I'm convinced that when, when Adam sinned, and God said, Adam, where are you? God is not a seeker of information. He knows all things. He was challenging Adam to have an honest conversation with himself. This man had sinned and is hiding, against, uh, hiding from a God that knows all and sees all. That question was about Adam being honest with Adam. That question wasn't about Jesus really wanting to know where Adam, where are you? You're hiding from someone who knows everything. Be honest with yourself. We both know what happened. And it wasn't until Adam finally was honest with himself and with God where he came out in, in all of his shame. It was all laid to bear. He was naked and he knew it. He was sinful and he knew it. And he deserved to die and he knew it. And what's the first thing God did? He shed blood. The blood that was supposed to be his, God shed it. Killed an animal, took the skins and clothed his nakedness. This is how you will be received when you come to the house of the Lord and you lay it down. When you're really honest with your own self and just say, man, I messed up. I didn't come correct. And I want to be honest about that now. And what's going to happen? God doesn't have to shed any more animals' blood. The blood has already been spilled, and every drop, every drop, <laughs> was, it wasn't a drop wasted. The blood has been spilled. That's it. Just lay it down. Your, your white robes are waiting for you. Just take the rags off. They're waiting for you. You got people in this church right now, pastors in this church right now, ready to clothe you, ready to honor you, ready to honor the work that God is doing in you. If you would just come and be honest and lay it down. A couple quick responses. How do we respond? A couple things. So this is a word to leaders in the church. Jesus did what he did. Leaders in the church, you're not Jesus. Don't feel like you have the right to do what was described as if it was prescribed. All right? Also, don't fall into the trap, leaders of the church. This is, we're getting to one of my pet peeves right now. All right? One of the issues going on here was they made it easy for everybody. It's easier. Let's just sell these things at the temple. We can serve the people in this way. Essentially, it became a seeker-friendly temple. It became a man-centered temple. And I want to encourage you, leaders of the church, whether you're here in the building or watching this online, the needs of the people are never at odds with the commands of God. Never. If something's going on where you can't figure out how to serve God's people and obey his commands, you're doing it wrong. You'd be better off just doing nothing. 
but don't pit these things against each other as if there's a competition, as if, as if we've got to lay one down for the, for, at the expense of the other. We don't. And this is where we mess up. This temple was supposed to be a place of repentance and sacrifice and worship, and it became a store. It became a community service center. It became all these things, and it ceased to be a temple. You couldn't even go there and worship. Let me tell you right now, as a church planter, planting a new church in North Huntsville, one of the most common questions I get is about, like, what kind of programs we're going to have at the church? And that man, you know, it's not a bad question. I don't want to, like, shame you for asking the question because it's good. We want to do good things. But let me tell you something. I'm going to be straight up with you. I don't have any plans. If God gives us the extra resources to do something here and there, but in terms of the church, being like, like you, I, I find it highly unlikely that you will see a social media post of the food drive that we did at Worthy Redeemer Church, giving away a bunch of food. And it's not because we shouldn't feed people, but it's because the church is a very specific thing. And when we get this right, it compels people to go out into the world and do all this stuff. It's a reason why when you look at these civilizations where Christianity spread, we send missionaries and they plant churches, those churches take root in the community. And then what do you see popping up? Christian hospitals pop up, Christian orphanages pop up, all types of Christian organizations just, just start ripping through the community. They pop up, they come here and they worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And they go out and they can't help but serve and love and meet needs in orphanages and hospitals and all these other things pop up. So what's the goal? Get this right. Like come here and worship Jesus. Like sing your guts out, pray your heart out, get vulnerable. And when you leave, have, having left all this stuff here, You'll actually have the capacity to go bear one another's burdens out in the community. You're still bearing your own stuff. You can't go bear the issue of hunger. You can't go bear the issue of it being freezing cold and people are homeless. You can't go bear the issue of children who don't have mentors or homes, kids that need to be adopted. You're coming in here with a, a weight and you leave with the same weight and you can't help anybody else. And you go, man, what's the church going to do about this? Church is going to worship God in spirit and truth in such a way that it will throw everyone out of this building with a passion to serve the neighborhoods that they're in. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get this right. And it's not to say that we're not going to do anything else, but it is to say we're going to get this right. We have to get this right. We got to give God what he is owed. And it's not for the sake of checking a box. I'm telling you, it will, it will change your life. It will throw you out into the world with a reckless abandon for serving others. You will do things you didn't have the capacity or the imagination to do before because you worship Jesus rightly. My greatest hope for Worthy Redeemer Church is that I see our people in other ministries' photos, that when Lincoln Village posts a video about a house they build that is filled with people from Worthy Redeemer in their photos, that when there's a food drive at Downtown Rescue Mission, that people from our church will be all over, when they're posting the pic, man, there's a whole bunch of people from Worthy Redeemer Church at the food drive down there. What's going on? All right? 
when kids are getting adopted left and right, when you, when you go visit people's homes, there's adopted kids all in them homes. And if we try to do, if we try to cram all this stuff into the house of the Lord, we run the risk of not being good at any of it. We run the risk of not being good at any of it. So let's get this thing right. Come in here, lay it down, repent, have honest conversations with yourselves about why you're here, why you brought, why you're not here, why you didn't bring. I'm going to end with this quote from J.C. Rao. Beware of a half-hearted religion. Beware of following Christ from any secondary motive to please relations and friends, to keep in with the custom of the peace or family in which you reside, to appear respectable and to have reputation of being religious. Follow Christ for his own sake. If you follow him at all, be thorough, be real, be honest, be sound, be wholehearted. If you have any religion at all, let your religion be real.